Harry Redboard. Uh, welcome to TRM Talks. Uh, today we have a really action-packed uh, TRM Talks for you. Uh, it was referred to uh, by one person as a three-day conference uh, packed into an hour with just the extraordinary horsepower uh, that we have on this call today. Um, you know, over the course of really the last you know couple of years, what we've seen uh, globally is regulators really think about how does one regulate in this sort of centralized cryptocurrency space um, with really less discussion of really the power and promise, I think, of the technology moving more and more to a truly decentralized space. I think more and more we're seeing regulators really start to grapple with just that question. Uh, so we essentially assembled the Avengers uh, for you today, really some of the leading minds um, in, in the policy uh, thought leadership space, um, particularly on DeFi, uh, to really bring you a DeFi roundtable conversation on, um, on what does uh, regulation look like in a truly decentralized space. So without further ado, without big introductions, uh, this is essentially a group that needs no introduction. But very, very briefly, I, I really, really want to thank uh, Kristen Smith, the executive director of the Blockchain Association, uh, Michael Mosier, uh, general counsel of Espresso Systems, uh, and former acting director of FinCEN, uh, Carol House, uh, the executive in residence for TerraNet Ventures, and former director of cyber and secure digital innovation uh, for the National Security Council at the White House, uh, Chris Brommer, a professor at Georgetown University Law Center and luminary in all things crypto and fintech, uh, certainly in DC, Salman Benai, uh, the head of policy at Uniswap Labs, uh, one of the most important players uh, in this ecosystem, uh, Alex Levitov, a uh, managing director at K2 Integrity, and finally, uh, Patrick South, Vice President of Business Development at TRM Labs. Literally, if I could have drafted you know, the first round here, uh, this is the group. Could not be more excited uh, to have this conversation with you. Um, Michael, I, I feel like you have just so much perspective having sat where you sat as a regulator um, and, and now really as such an important part of sort of the DeFi um, you know, community and thought leadership. Would you sort of level set for us a little bit? You know, as I said, you know, we have seen a lot of discussion on what it's like to regulate in a centralized, if you will, sort of cryptocurrency ecosystem, but much less in DeFi. I'd say sort of where, why is that? And then where are sort of the interesting conversations occurring in, in your mind? Yeah, thanks, Ari. And th thanks for having me. I'm, I'm glad that we're all talking through this. It is, uh, it is definitely what feels like is going to be the hot topic uh, this year going forward. I feel like we, we ended 2022 um, acutely aware of, of where centralized finance um, in, in whether it's web one, two or three uh, can, can fall short. And so uh, in risk management, and I think that's, that's where uh, two things, I think there's, there's an increased shift in people looking at, okay, who, who didn't get liquidated. Um, and it does go back to a bit of the first principles of, of crypto of not your not your keys not your coins and and some of the folks that did well were were those who were hosting their own um cryptocurrency and tokens not on ftx or or celsius or wherever and voyager so i think there's there's definitely a focus on that to some degree and then in terms of the regulatory um you know i think to some degree appropriately regulators were focused in the first instance on the centralized clearly centralized actors and platforms. Uh, I think if you, if you look at the various um, data 
on where illicit activity has been happening and where risk is, um, which TRMs is has been at the forefront of. Um, you see that it's it's really been through centralized actors. It's the it's the on ramps and the off ramps. Um, but you know they're not without action in the in the more decentralized space and the infrastructure. And I think that's that piece of risk management is something we're we're going to see a lot more of. Um, and part of that too is I think there's. I think it's been appropriately somewhat restrained and sort of strategic patience on the on the part of some regu some regulators uh, on the Web3 infrastructure and the DeFi space because there's a lot of layers and a lot of pieces and a lot of automated data processing here um, that that you want to be careful about in, in the way that um, you know I think in the traditional finance world appropriately started at at regulating and looking at folks like. JP Morgan Chase and Goldman and all the people holding the money and not going straight to like, well, we ought to check the DNS routers. Uh, and if Cloudflare does the, the, the packet sniffing, then we won't need to regulate JP Morgan. And that's just not, doesn't make sense. And it's also not where the touch points are that you have actors that have the most available information to assess risk. Thank, th thank you very much. That's like, I think that's a really perfect way to sort of set the scene here. Solomon, if I can move to you for a moment. Um, you lead policy. It's sort of really, you know, arguably the most important sort of player in the DeFi space. Like, how are you thinking about this? And is 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 Michael right that like, you know, I, I would say that pre-FTX, I said, all right, 2023 is the year where we really sort of think about DeFi and how what regulation looks like. I feel like we're still have a little hangover from 2022. But are you starting to see the conversation move in that way? And how are you reacting to it? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the conversation is getting more and more mature, uh, particularly outside the U.S. Um, in terms of uh, the role that DeFi is going to have as we see more and more uh, real world assets, particularly currencies, digitized um, through regulatory clarity on things like bank stable coins or CBDCs being launched in different jurisdictions. So we're seeing a, an interesting shift in the last year kind of parallel with what we you know the the embarrassing stuff we saw some really promising um developments in in, in the regulators' approach policymakers' approach to DeFi. um i'll highlight two initiatives uh, one is uh, singapore's project guardian um where they brought together a couple of banks um with large uh, one singaporean bank one u.s bank um, to pilot the use of uh, AMMs uh, like the Uniswap protocol, as well as lending protocols in support of traditional financial um, transactions. Um, and then uh, more recently, the Bank of International Settlements has launched a, uh, a pilot uh, called Project Mariana, which is looking at leveraging um, an automated market maker protocol to support CBDC FX uh, settlements. And this is bringing into focus um, the fact that the principles that govern financial market infrastructures, the CPMI, IOSCO uh, principles of the PFMI, um, were drafted for regulation for, for regulating um, institutions um, and not really code. Um, and so, um, as we see more and more traditional financial products shifting into the uh, digital uh, ecosystem, blockchain-based ecosystem. Um, we're going to have to see a translation of the principles for financial market infrastructures um, over to a, a new code-based um, ecosystem. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, Carol, let me let me jump to you for a moment because, A, I saw you smiling through some of those, uh, or at least uh, listening intently to uh, 
to both Michael and Salman. But would you sort of jump in here a little bit and sort of, I think, I feel like you you have a very interesting perch. You were a regulator, then at the White House, um, and, and um, sort of continue that work now in the private sector. Talk a little bit from where you sit. Um, how are you thinking about sort of the DeFi ecosystem? And what, what could potentially regulation look like? And what, what, what has to happen? I really appreciate and take to heart the great like, innovative work that um, that a lot of other nations like Singapore are um, engaging and pursuing. I, I do think that U.S. regulators are also are also being thoughtful about it. Um, I think that there's some some room for additional collaboration. But the reality is that a lot of entities that are currently claiming to be decentralized end up not being quite so. Whether you see that in the way that certain exploits are happening um, from nation state cyber criminals that are that are exploiting, in fact, lack of decentralization in certain systems, um, or just the reality that there are a lot of intermediaries that are currently playing significant roles in the administration of these systems. So I, I think you're seeing that with um, actions that have been taken, whether referring to Ukidao or others. Um, but I, um, I think that really like to take a step back about what the key issues are that DeFi is facing and that the, regu the regulators are going to be focusing on are issues around cybersecurity and resilience. Of course, I have to point to that because um, obviously cyber are critically important um, issues around standards, uh, expertise issues, also compliance or critical issues around things like um, consumer exploitation, market protections, illicit finance um, and sanctions regimes. But also really the most important issues to me, I think in the system, aside from cybersecurity and resilience, centralization, extent and accountability in the ecosystems. That's really gonna be where I think a lot of the driving conversations and technological developments have to be focused. I, I think that ultimately as, as consumers start to recognize that they really want to only engage with systems that are properly securing their systems through um, through like audits of code um, and appropriate governance models so that there's some kind of recourse um, when their assets are stolen. I think that I think that that's something that the sector can evolve to. It just hasn't yet happened. And that's resulted in the loss of um, billions of dollars in DeFi platform hacks. Um, but the issue of accountability, I think, and identity in the DeFi ecosystems, um, and with identity comes privacy. And I know for many people, they talk about anonymity, but privacy being something that's different than anonymity. Privacy means there is data that is discoverable and protected um, and that can be disclosed to certain parties under certain permissions and protections. And I think that that's really where a lot of the key discussions have to happen um, to determine what the future is of regulation in the DeFi space, whether self-regulation as many in the sector um, want or th and or through uh, the already existent regulators and regulatory regimes. Um, I would encourage the space to really look hard at governance and policy issues as well as technological solutions that can address those. So I can go into detail on those, but I, I'll stop there so that the rest of the- No, I appreciate can... that. And I do want to come back to you on some of these cyber issues because I think it's a very real issue and I'm not entirely sure that the, the ecosystem can fully evolve while the while that is still happening as regularly as it has been. So I want to get back to you on that. Um, and I also promised the audience, I am not ignoring certain panelists. I think we're having some technical difficulties. So I'm going to stay with the ones that I know are not uh, for a moment. But Michael, I actually, this was is, is a great question follow up with you anyway. And that is uh, really the, the question I want to dig in with you is on digital identity, which Carol started um, to get into a little bit. I don't know that we can really separate a conversation of how to regulate uh, in the DeFi space without a conversation around digital identity. And I know that's something that you're very passionate about and have worked a lot on. Can you sort of talk about that intersection and how you're thinking about those issues? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, I have to say, though, like talking about digital identity with Carol here is like explaining basketball with Michael Jordan. Like, <laughs> it's it's awesome. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but I'll start and then Carol can, awesome. can adjust it and correct. But um, but I, 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 yeah, I mean, I think this is something that when I was at Vincent with Carol, uh, we were really focused on digital identity and privacy technology. Um, for some of the reasons that you've you've talked about um, and, and Carol was mentioning in terms of managing the risk, but also managing privacy um, and that and that we have to be thinking about um, evolving the risk space, not just in terms of bad actors, but also the vulnerabilities that we put people in. Um, and, and I think particularly in this era of deep fakes, um, the idea that it just takes uh, we're just going to take a snapshot of you next to your um, license and and that's really what you need and so KYC solves everything is really not it's not going to work um, and I think if anything we see from the traditional finance space like one how easily spoofed that is how unreliable it is um, two how much it it uh, also creates vulnerabilities because you create honeypots and and all this information gets out there and now the people you were supposed to protect are actually in the opposite position. And then three, and, and Chris Brummer's on here and has talked about this a lot more eloquently and done much more research, but you know, the more you're just looking at single data points that are, that are I'm not gonna use, I'll try not to say antiquated by saying it, but uh, you know, you're just keeping folks out of the system that, that have major contributions, which is what we see in the open source world and, and decentralized finance. Um, and also at the same time, from a regulator's perspective, you're managing risk better actually because of things like TRM, where you're actually looking at activity, not just uh, a falsifiable identity. Um, and I think there's tremendous uh, evolution going on in the zero knowledge space, like certainly Espresso Systems working on that, but lots of other people are too, um, where it just doesn't matter exactly which passport it is, like it's someone not on a sanctions list, and you have all this activity around it that's being looked at that's much more hard to fake um, than a driver's license. Fantastic. Chris, I, I think perfect uh, entree here. As much as we all love looking at you, uh, we're really much more excited to hear from you. So I'm glad this is working. And, I'm, and uh, <laughs> you know, I'm like part of the conversation. So I, I could be like, no, 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 no problem. Uh, look, yeah. I think it's you talk to everyone, I think, and, and Michael, um, I think, previewed this. You know, really, how are you thinking about these issues today from, uh, from really from all the perches you sit from building to technology to acad the academic setting? Talk, talk through some of this, this stuff. Yeah, you know, what, what, what really interests me and what I've found um, uh, uh, quite exciting, I, I think, at, at this point in the sort of the larger conversation is, uh, well, you know, when you, when you think about digital assets and you then think about, um, as my friend Salman would say, the digitalization of the infrastructure supporting those digital assets as sort of the next phase of, you know, the evolution of, payments and, and financial systems, you know, the, the legal work and the technology work kind of have to go hand in hand in very interesting ways. You know, I, I think that when people use the word infrastructure, um, and I'm out in, in, in San Francisco now, uh, you know, it's fascinating because you get to talk to the engineers, you get to talk to the builders, people putting things together. And there's a sense that, you know, that infrastructure is, is hardware, right? You know, and, you know, and, 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 and code. But then there's, you know, in financial services, there's also the the legal infrastructure, and and how do you sort of uh, put those two pieces together? How do you put the the, the rules of the road um, uh, and adapt them in ways that make sense 
for the infrastructure and to make sure that that infrastructure still achieves the goals and the objectives um, of, of our regulatory system. And I think that DeFi definitely pushes um, the boundaries as, uh, you know, as to that question, because it, it requires a reassessment of both existing rules as well as um, you know, kicking the tires and looking very carefully at what the technology does and 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 does not do, and that's like a, a lot of work. But when you get to things like like DeFi and open source or, or, or public blockchains, some of the work that I've done and been researching has been on issues like disclosure, as many of you know, right? And that kind of pushes on even when you want disclosure. Well, you know, like what does disclosure mean? on a public blockchain where a lot of the material information is already on chain. You just have to be sophisticated enough to access that information and to understand that information. So what then does that mean for questions of sophistication? You know, like how do we think about the delivery of information and the like? And I think that um, from a regulatory standpoint, you can ask, questions like that that run across any gamut of of issue areas from from uh privacy issues to uh questions uh relating to aml kyc um to questions relating to well what does this infrastructure mean uh or could mean uh for uh, uh folks who for whom maybe maybe the traditional financial system may be inefficient or ineffective or slow or costly. Um, and then what would it take for the system, for DeFi to get there, right? So it's, it's, it's not just this question of what could it do, but once you identify what it could do, how do you, how do you get there, right? And I think that that, that conversation um, you know, both parts of that conversation, sometimes there's a little bit of emphasis on one versus the other, depending on, you know, uh, uh, which stakeholder, which regulatory actor you're, you're, you're talking to. But that building process is what I've, I've found to be by far um, the, the most interesting, right? Um, and, and, and we tend to think about it from first a payments question. Now we're thinking about the automization of financial services. You know, that's obviously something that people are very interested in. But I, but I tend to, to think about it a little bit. When I think about DeFi, I, I tend to think about it even, even larger than that, which is, you know, what are the components, the component parts of that infrastructure that, that, that could be interesting for all other kinds of uh, use cases and, and solutions that could still fall within the question of financial services, but could also have very interesting uh, regulatory um, applications. That's certainly the space that TRM plays in and does very, very well. But it's also, you know, I think um, the kind of uh, space that even regulators themselves may be pleasantly surprised by or, or, or in, in terms of, of what can be delivered when trying to achieve questions of market integrity, when trying to combat money laundering, illicit finance, and and the like, um, yeah. So that's 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 what I find pretty interesting. That's incredible. What I knew was going to happen today is already happening. I had like questions that I was going to ask, and but you elicited so many other ones, and um, I, have, <laughs> I have like I have different people I want to ask. But Salman, I'm going to ask you real quick because uh, I do think Chris brought up something really really interesting, and that is like there's the potential right of the space and the technology and then there's the actual like application and how people are using it essentially 
I would just love you to sort of expound on that a little bit, sort of like maybe the, this kind of where we go from here question, because I feel like you guys are uniquely situated in the space to be, be thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you already see a lot of um, accomplishments um, in the DeFi space that um, are lessons for the you know, more traditional financial ecosystem. So um, automated market maker protocols, you know, like the Uniswap protocol, like, like Curve and like others, are really encouraging a diversity of liquidity providers, which stands in contrast to many financial markets um, where you're relying on a very limited set of um, dealers or market makers um, that have, you know, various moats, um, you know, reinforcing their positions. So um, on the Uniswap protocol, as an example, we have over 10,000, you know, wallet addresses that are providing uh, liquidity um, across different um, pairs. Um, another interesting, um, you know, perspective on kind of the capabilities of the technology um, is in the area of illicit finance. So, um, you know, in, in, in contrast to the traditional financial system, um, the DeFi ecosystem or the on-chain ecosystem actually compares quite favorably uh, among some key measures. So one example is the percentage of activity associated with illicit activity. So in the DeFi space, that's about 0.1 or 0.2%, depending on your, 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 the most recent data sets. Um, and then there's seizure rates. So we're seeing seizure rates, you know, upwards to 26, 27 percent um, of illicit activity on public, open, permissionless blockchains versus less than one percent. Um, and this is a World Economic Forum data on the on the latter point. It, it's, so, it's, it's a fantastic point. And just to double down on this and I'll let you jump right back in. You know, uh, we see the same thing, and that is really the, the illicit activities occurring on the on-ramps and off-ramps, right, to fiat, whereas right. the transactions that are occurring entirely on-chain, you talk about sort of what are the risks, and we'll get to the risk, Carol, I promise. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, it, it is really interesting. That's where it's happening at that conversion point where, um, you know, where there is regulation in place today. Absolutely. I mean, if, if we were to, um, you know, be able to show regulators a, a, a financial system, blockchain-based financial system, that achieves these seizure rates, you know, um, I think it would be pretty compelling for regulators to consider. Um, and we've been able to do that by, as, as you said, Ari, regulating the on and off ramps. So tracing the activity through to those on and off ramps and then seizing the funds when, um, you know, there's an attempt at a, at a, at a cash out. Um, otherwise, the digital assets, you know, aren't, aren't useful um, until you access those on and off ramps. So. Yeah. Fantastic and interesting. I mean, we'll we'll get into this in a moment. We'll see a risk assessment from Treasury next month, I believe, um, uh, the following month, and uh, it'll be interesting to sort of you know really dig into and maybe we get a preview from Carol if she's kind enough. But we'll we'll see. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of where the risks are compared to where they are in the more centralized uh, crypto sort of ecosystem. Kristen, um, you know, one thing that Carol said that I thought was really actually you know very true from my own experience too is that you know policymakers, regulators in the U.S. are thinking in pretty sophisticated ways about this, but there are real challenges. I mean, this is the group right here, and we, we don't have all the answers. Um, would you talk a little bit about how you're engaging from from blockchain association perspective, whether it's on the Hill or with regulators on these? And um, and really, are, are we seeing a move or shift yet from these conversations around how to regulate an exchange to how to sort of maybe thoughtfully regulate a truly decentralized space? 
Yeah, no, I think I think the conversations and, and the discussions are still in the very early stages. Um, I, I think our goal right now at Blockchain Association is to decouple centralized exchange or centralized platform regulation from any sort of DeFi regulation. Um, those we had thought, you know, if you had asked me nine months ago, I said those are on separate tracks kind of like we see in the EU, uh, they kind of converged this fall. And there was this kind of school of thought that emerged in the Senate Agriculture Committee that this is something that should have the same core principles apply. I, I think, you know, from an industry perspective, I think there is consensus in the industry that DeFi is different than, than CeFi and you need to like look at them separately and distinctly from one another. I think that in and of itself is still a challenge when we're dealing with some policymakers, not all. I mean, I think we have some really sophisticated members of Congress and regulators that see the distinctions. But, um, but you know, for those who are just showing up, you know, they may learn the word DeFi, but they may not actually know what that is. They may not have actually done a transaction using a DeFi protocol. And so we, we have a tremendous amount of education. And, you know, at Blockchain Association, we're working our way through various offices. Um, our friends at the DeFi Education Fund are doing the same thing. And so I, th I think we have a lot of work to do. Um, but when it comes to like, what do we actually do with DeFi regulation itself? I think, as you were saying, there's like a tremendous amount of discussion to still be had. I think there are different schools of thoughts, depending on who you speak with in, in the DeFi community. Um, I think, you know, if you kind of compare it to stablecoin regulation, you know, Congress and um, federal agencies started looking at how to regulate something as simple as a dollar-backed stablecoin back in 2019 with the announcement of Libra. And if you fast forward a couple years later, we're finally at a point where there's like, all right, we've identified the risks and here are what we think are appropriate solutions to these risks of dollar-backed stablecoins. That again is a very simple, um, uh, you know, simple policy issue. And that took years for policymakers and quite frankly, the industry to sort of coalesce around how that should look. If you compare that to DeFi, I mean, I, I sort of only, DeFi only came on my radar maybe three and a half, four years ago. It's not a particularly new uh, or a particularly established <laughs> innovation, right? There's, this, this is new. And um, I think even for those of us in the industry, there's not agreement into what, if any type of regulation um, needs to apply. So I think, you know, the first step is for the crypto ecosystem and the DeFi ecosystem to really identify like what are the risks that we're concerned about or that policymakers might be concerned about and can we agree on what the answers uh, to, you know, are to address those risks. And in the meantime, we need to work with policymakers, whether it be regulators or on the Hill, to really get them to understand the potential here. And um, an example I've been using lately is I remember when I was a little baby congressional staffer 20 years ago and a, a mobile industry lobbyist came in and pulled open their flip phone and showed me this little teeny tiny screen and they said, look, we can watch TV on here. And I thought, who would ever want to do that? That's the stupidest thing ever. I feel like we're sort of in the same place with DeFi where it's not immediately obviously beneficial or useful to most mainstream consumers, but obviously, you know, the, the experience will evolve and the services will evolve on top of it. And we will, I think, hit that inflection point. So I think, you know, our goal is first to sort of decouple the two issues and second, to really do the education and to give it some time for both the industry and policymakers to figure out what are the risks and, and finding the appropriate solutions to those risks.
Fantastic. So what you're saying is we have to solve this on TRM talks today because it's not going to be <laughs> anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. If we could do that, then um, I'm probably out of a job. So, um, um, which I'd yeah. be happy to retire. So. <laughs> Patrick, um, you know, I think one of the things that that really Chris and uh, Salman in particular and, and Michael really alluded to is sort of what has to happen to push this space forward, right? From the promise to the actual sort of application of the technology. Um, I, I think one thing that I know you have a ton of experience in is sort of like, you know, how are financial institutions, right? Institutional investors thinking about the space? Um, I know you're getting a lot of tough questions, sort of how do you engage in the space safely? Um, how, how are you thinking about it from your perch, sort of working with financial institutions, you know, uh, who, who want to engage, but are sort of pulling back maybe even a little bit more um, in the wake of a non-DeFi disaster, but a, a crypto related disaster nonetheless? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful question. Um, the the way that I'd construct it is I'd, I'd kind of think about this in, in terms of three key levers. The, the first is, is like what I'll just broadly title virtue recognition. And I think there's um, a silver lining in the post FTX world, which is this, what's been alluded to on, on, on this call and elsewhere, which is um, maybe the double-edged sort of, of, uh, of, of, of DeFi. And I think regulators have, have are now looking at DeFi through a slightly different lens than they were in 2022 and, and, and just prior. And that's that many of the events that unfolded in 2022, whether it be three hours capital or, or FTX or, or others, um, these were really driven by off-chain liabilities. And so uh, as you start to look at what actually evolved within the DeFi landscape uh, is fallout from these events, protocols were relatively unscathed. Um, it, there are many that you can name as, as primary examples of this, but you start to look at the true underlying virtues or the, the foundational principles of DeFi and where that really lends itself to uh, you know, alignment with how regulators view the world and how they, they, they want to see certain things unfold. So um, if, if, if you recognize the, the, the virtue recognition there, the, the next element to align on is what I'll broadly title like the privacy equilibrium. And uh, to date, there's uh, we've we've continuously looked at uh, public blockchain data is is transparent, and and because of that, there's a variety of really really wonderful insights that uh, that can be gathered from that in terms of uh, enabling trust and safety layers for financial institutions and other financial intermediaries to safely engage within the balance of of what is broadly titled AML compliance, respective to, to varying jurisdictions. Um, the battle that we face a little bit today is if I go and buy a, a non-fungible token, an NFT, and it's a, a you know a cool fun JPEG of something that I want to make a, a profile picture uh, associated with you know maybe my name and, and a popular social media platform. Well, by doing so, it's now very easy for someone to link that simple image to a, a complete financial history of me. And in areas all around the world, we've seen kidnappings occur because now I've posted a, a fancy picture of something that may not even have all that high value, but it can be directly linked to my entire fin financial transaction history. And because of that, people now have you know, insight into you know, arguably your neighbor's bank accounts. Uh, and, and today, at least in the United States, we have a right to financial privacy. And, uh, it, and, and that is I don't want to say directly at odds with that, but it really starts to call into question. Um, you know, maybe maybe there is a need for, for for something greater there. I think what's often called on here is is looking at 
um, the need for folks that operate within or live within oppressive regimes and they want to make political donations, have a right to free speech. That's that's kind of more on the severe end of the spectrum. But I guess what I'm getting at is, is broadly we're seeing more of a pull towards towards privacy here. And whether it's espresso or others, I think 2023, 2024 are going to be key years for this idea of, of zero, what's a buzzword, zero knowledge technology uh, to, 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 to really emerge. And I think 2023 will be a little buzzwordy, but 24, we're going to start to see this in a more consumable, you know, abstracted fashion where, you know, most bridges will see varying chains that implement native um, zero knowledge technology. And this could be used, you know, financial institutions, maybe high frequency trading firms, you want the ability to execute quant strategies with, you know, zero knowledge perpetual swaps with, without having other people aware of, of what strategies they're running. Um, so there's a variety of reasons that the banks and financial institutions care about this, this equilibrium. Um, and it also affords us the opportunity to engage in, in selective disclosure. And, and that'll kind of bring me to, to one of my final points here within this this privacy ramble is is this idea that um, today we view on-chain transactions primarily through a financial lens and we're talking about DeFi decentralized finance but but if we think about the the broad directionality here of web 3 more and more transactions aren't going to be natively financial if you will you, you see social media platforms being built on DeFi and these aren't uh, financial transactions per se. These are posts. These are uh, messages. These are engagements that are occurring. The same thing holds true with gaming. We're seeing more and more uh, gaming platforms that are riding on what are arguably considered DeFi rails today. We're seeing an emergence of identity. So the idea that people can selectively disclose things about themselves via attestations. So there's a question here that, you know, if over time more and more on-chain transactions that are occurring aren't natively financial, but have... Uh, kind of a uh, a nexus point with a financial fee that's being paid associated with the transaction or tokens that are associated with that. It really calls into question a lot of the ways that uh, that, that regulators and more importantly, in the, in the lens of this discussion, financial institutions view this. So um, it, just to drive the point home in, in terms of selectively disclosing something about myself and perhaps my age is uh, you know, growing up, I played a lot of like roller coaster tycoon and Sims and, and things like that. And there's this idea that that was never a financial thing for me. It, it was just you, you log on to my nice e-machines computer and plug in a, a, a CD-ROM and, and, and go at it for a couple hours. And, you know, now for someone to have that same experience, they are natively encountering a financial transaction in, in, in many ways. And because of that, I think it's going to change the way that we view what we're broadly calling DeFi today and the regulations that occur around that. Um, the last thing is, is the idea of abstracted risk tolerance. And that is, is a user, I want to be able to um, determine where my funds are and aren't safe as I engage with liquidity pools, as I engage with varying automated market makers and, and other DeFi constructs. And today, that's a very difficult thing for me to do as an end user. Um, and financial institutions are, are acutely aware of this. So how can they help to bring trust and safety to, um, to, to, to broad DeFi rails? And so uh, how can I, as, Chris used the term sophistication, but if I'm in, and I am a relatively unsophisticated person, um, if I go to engage with a DeFi protocol, how do I understand if, if, it's, if, there, if there's been a smart contract audit that's occurred? 
and, and who did it and how often is it occurring? You know, can I rely on that? Um, how do I know what the, 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 the posture of um, uh, you know, AML compliance is for that protocol? How can I understand what you know, technological risk exists or legal risk or financial? These are just big questions that people don't have the answer to today. So as we see DeFi proliferation continue to occur, especially with the entrance of, of financial institutions into that realm, there's going to be some key questions that need to be, I guess not questions, but key things that need to evolve for users to be able to interact with it in a more trusted manner. So I'll, I'll pause there with a bit I'll, of a sorry. I've been telling people for two years that I work with one of the truly smartest, sharpest people in our space. And it's fun for a thousand people on the line to see that just now as well. Alex, would you, I would love to hear, like if just kind of jump in there a little bit on, I think where uh, where I'd really like to sort of understand is sort of how clients, right? I mean, you have traditional clients, you have sort of more crypto native clients. How are they thinking about engaging in this space, given sort of all of those things Patrick talked about? Um, and uh, yeah, I'm going to jump from there. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks so much. And it's a great, great sort of launch into a lot of things that, that we've been working on and thinking about. And so just to maybe add a couple other thoughts sort of um, from the perspective of, of financial institutions working in, in the space. So I think that, um, you know, first thing that, that we want to recognize in, in sort of engaging with financial institutions is that these are regulated entities, that they have existing relationships with supervisors, they understand a certain set of um, fairly sort of well well tried and true um, you know, expectations and, and requirements. And um, there's sometimes some apprehension in getting into a new, new space where those questions, as we've been discussing, sort of aren't, aren't quite as well settled. And so understanding what the sort of regulatory status of a, of a new DeFi entity is going to be, um, who or what is going to be ultimately responsible for, for managing, especially financial crime risks, sort of um, a, a topic that comes up time and again, um, for, for a new DeFi entity and protocol, at what point does that sort of go out into the world as a truly sort of autonomous and decentralized entity? Or at what point are the, the founders and, and um, promoters of, um, uh, of such an entity sort of on the hook for, um, for various compliance related um, issues? The, the same exact thing comes up from a different angle where um, we're looking at financial institutions that are servicing um, you know, various um, crypto and fintech clients um, through traditional banking services, and they're trying to figure out, for example, in, in a case of something like a, a Dow Treasury account, um, you know, what is what are the beneficial ownership identification and verification requirements around this sort of novel legal and, and corporate form? You know, who do we understand own or control um, a, a, an entity such as that that's sort of by its its nature um, decentralized and, and autonomous? So, um, you know, this is where you know we look to certain indicators from enforcement actions and and and, and guidance, even if it's somewhat sort of selective and, and piecemeal. Where um, I, I think Carol mentioned the um, the CFTC action on against um, Ukida that that looked at holders of the governance tokens as well as founders as uh, potentially um, sort of responsible and and, and liable for um, for relevant breaches under the CFTC's authority. Um, you know, without opening up a can of worms the tornado cash or, or overgeneralizing from that case, you know, the, the updated FAQ from, from OFAC on um, when, when tornado cash was redesignated in November um, talks about the organizational structure of that entity as including its founders um, and developers and, and talked about um, those creating the, the, the DAO and promoting the entity. And so thinking just general terms, and this goes to Chris's point about the interconnections between the, uh, the legal and technical 
landscape, um, you know, trying to sort of understand um, accountability and responsibility in this space. Um, right now, as, as others have pointed out, you know, the, that responsibility has been really focused at these on and off ramp points. But, um, you know, I, I don't think that's sort of the, the final frontier of regulatory interest in this space or, um, or, or where the sort of um, responsibility for financial crime risk management is going to stop. So we've, um, we've been exploring a lot of um, those kinds of really fundamental issues, along with the really interesting um, issues we could, we could um, certainly go on about around decentralized identity and, and lots of other things. So those are just a couple of additional two, um, two cents from me. Awesome. Thank you so much. And this, that's exactly where I want to kind of go from here. And, and, and please feel free to chime in, guys. I, I'm, I'm happy to continue moderating or just like let this thing go wild. Uh, but I, I think, you know, Carol, why don't I start with you, but, but Michael, Chris, Salman, sort of everyone, feel free to jump in here. I'd like to talk about sort of the risks. Obviously, there are challenges in this ecosystem. You know, we saw, according to TRM, like 3.7 billion in hacks on DeFi, essentially mostly in the DeFi ecosystem last year in 2022. Um, clearly, you know, the space needs to harden cyber defenses, um, but, but there are challenges, um, but then there are a lot of opportunities as Patrick kind of outlined around things like privacy, but how, so, so Carol, I think you're uniquely, at least uniquely perfect to kick this off. And that is, we'd love to hear about the challenges, but we also know that you've been really thinking through the solutions, digital identity and other types of, uh, using the technology to solve some of these, uh, challenges. Talk, talk us through sort of where, where your, th where your thinking is today. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I'd, I'd say first with the challenges, thinking about the risk landscape is that part of, part of that risk assessment is looking at things like the threat, vulnerabilities, mitigations that are in place. All of that should also be considered for DeFi systems. Um, and, it, and with vulnerabilities comes not just those that are currently being exploited, but those that can. Um, I mention all of that because um, I appreciate that several people sort of referenced it b before that the public nature of the information on a lot of these on, on a lot of these ledgers is not inevitable. A lot of people view that as a bug and not a feature, in fact, of the systems. And that's why um, they're looking to implement privacy preserving or, or even an anonymizing technologies. Um, but ultimately that's why there, there's companies like Espresso Labs that are doing you know incredible work to try to make sure that it's not just anonymity, but also you can enable for appropriate level of detection. So there are there is some sophisticated thinking that's happening certainly in the industry space. And I think that that kind of activity is the only stuff that's going to um, save the sector from a really like potentially like you know, very, a very tough crackdown um, if the space shows that it can evolve to be able to implement the appropriate mitigations, whether through governance policy, um, technology or operation to be able to address those risks. Um, and then, uh, so I think that, so, so I wanted to first highlight that like, no, it's not inevitable that it'll be public information. It's also not inevitable that there will be on and off ramps. Um, I mean, I, I like intermediaries. I don't keep all of my cash underneath my mattress, but like, who am I to tell people not to, you know, keep their cash under their, uh, under their crypto mattress um, and then on hosted wallets. I get that. Like I'm, I'm not their market, but plenty of people are. And ultimately I think that decentralized systems are going to have the incredible benefits that many people spoke to today. Um, but I, I think that, that future is part of the vision that, that that there will just be direct interfaces with with vendors um, in exchange for goods and services, um, and that through stable coins and other things you won't need necessarily the on ramps if those are administered through DeFi platforms. So there's some assumptions about what the future might be. That ultimately it's important for industry and regulators trying to keep all those things in mind. Um, I think a lot of this goes back to the the absence of accountability and things like identity and discoverability in the ecosystem are some of the biggest are are really the, the biggest challenges. Like we see that with 
weaknesses and vulnerabilities in smart contracts and code that lead to like um, to transactions that should have been invalid being seen as valid um, or being uh, being allowed to be propagated or other weaknesses and updates to to protocols in these systems that allow for um, uh, minting um, hundreds of millions of dollars um, of coins that shouldn't have been allowed without putting collateral up against them like these weaknesses in code we, we see them in the cybersecurity world and in in um, open source weaknesses as well as proprietary software um, we saw it, for example in the log4j vulnerability in the cybersecurity world um, showing my nerd, I know, but basically the the consequences in the crypto space because so much of this is financial. Um, I mean, the consequences were big, certainly for Log4j amongst many other um, cyber incidents. But when it's when it's a financial system and it's one that's that's decentralized or has the absence of things like accountable actors and recourse for consumers, um, then. The, the consequences are disastrous for people, for the institutions involved. Um, so really, I think the, the challenges around around what the consequences are of getting things wrong in software, because I, I know one um, one thought leader in, in industry, I think, put it really nicely when he highlighted that people talk about crypto as if it allows as if it's all about trustlessness. And well, it's it's not exactly trustlessness completely like you're, you're trusting software versus necessarily trusting people or centralized institutions in some instances. And who is developing the software like there's software will but the wonderful thing and terrible thing about it is that it will do exactly and only sort of what you design it to be, um, whether for benefit or the vulnerabilities that exist inside of it. So all the challenges that exist in in the cybersecurity world now just manifested directly um, for systems that are are again directly holding these these financial assets. Um, so I think all, all of those risks and challenges have been exploited so far. What we've seen in those billions of dollars um, that have been lost in the crypto ecosystem. I think th the ways forward. Um, I I believe that establishing standards and and then following them. Um, I know that a lot of people feel that the future is self-regulatory um, and potentially voluntary. I um, don't know how I feel about the voluntary piece, but on self-regulation, I'm actually pretty agnostic to whether it's industry imposed or regulatory imposed. If there are standards that are established and there are consequences imposed on those who break it, uh, no matter how big they are in the system, um, then, then that is a good regime as far as I'm concerned, as long as the standards are the right ones. Um, I think there's a lot of mature like there's a lot of maturization that has to happen in the space like um both on on the security and resilience side but also on things like illicit finance in the DeFi space you know we're not seeing things like um participation in isacs information sharing and analysis centers or integration of key cybersecurity controls sharing of cyber defenses um sharing of information related to anti-money laundering um i i do think that there's a lot of signals that are pointed in that direction like what i mentioned the development of technologies that will allow for privacy preservation but still detection of illicit activity like some of the people on uh, on this call are pursuing um, the idea of, of verifiable credentials that exist somewhere and then determining where accountability does sit in those DeFi ecosystems I, I don't think the future is one where there is no accountability but ultimately let's let's imagine that you don't actually have the current intermediaries and centralized financial institutions playing a significant role in the future um, the regulatory framework is also risk-based and it will evolve. Um, there are intermediaries that are currently not regulated as financial institutions like miners and validators. I don't know if they would be covered as financial institutions or some kind of service provider. That could be a future. I don't think that's anywhere in the near future. Um, 
aside from the already existing potential obligations and exposure for sanctions. Um, but, uh, and then ultimately like a totally decentralized system might end up, if the risk evolves, putting the onus on end consumers, which I don't think anybody wants, certainly not consumers and I don't think regulators want either. All of that is far off into the future. But basically I, I think that the, the sector taking a proactive and aggressive stance to establishing standards, building them in, determining where the right points for accountability should exist, and then and then holding those entities accountable, and determine. And I think that there's a lot of good discussion about where about what those standards should be, and then who should be doing the holding of folks accountable. Um, I know I'm sure that the regulators have a lot of feelings on it too, but obviously industry does does as well. So I, I think that there's some some promising discussion happening in industry, but still a long way to go uh, to make sure that those le le least desirable outcomes don't uh, don't come to bear down the road. Awesome, Carol, thank you so much. Uh, Chris, um, you're yeah, not you're getting standard. Yeah, where, where, yeah, go. go. I'm just gonna jump in because Carol like stole and said 18 times in a much more. <laughs> you were nodding the whole time, so I, I was like, I gotta hear this. All right. I'm a law professor, so I'd have started like as Herodotus said or something, right? But no, I mean, just, just, just really, you know, uh, Carol like, like, like hit the nail on the head. It's very interesting because I was just out here, as I said, I'm in San Francisco, and you know, one of the very interesting comments that um, the acting comptroller Mike Sue had said was, "Look, you know, I'm." you know, like part of the role is, you know, to what degree is industry going to come up with certain kinds of solutions? In other words, like to what degree are they going to be, is industry going to be proactively engaged in that sort of um, uh, standard setting process? And and I think that, that, that you know, th there is a long way to go in part because sometimes um, folks are just responding to uh, specific critiques of a particular space and I think that strategically, one of the wiser things to do would be to look at, you know, across um, any kind of interfaces where you see crypto entering into another industry, whether or not it be in, in, in banking, whether or not you're thinking about, it, you know, the interface between crypto and securities, wherever it is. Um, obviously, MLKYC is something that we're and, and cybersecurity is, is maybe the emphasis here, but to sort of look at those big points that they're making and make the assumption that, you know, Honestly, they're going to be applying the same expectations to DeFi and any other sort of uh, crypto application. So, so the, the, it, even though even though it may take a while for a rule or an enforcement action to, to eventually, um, you know, clamp down, there's you know use that space that that time to start that process of, 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 of coming up proactively with solutions, right? So that at, at least number one, it makes you more credible and trustworthy and gives people a reason to trust you because I think that people don't fully appreciate that regulation is not just sort of enforcement, but, the, um, uh, but regulation is also the question of how much discretion am I as a regulator willing to give you? How much rope? Am I willing to give you? And that and, and and that rope is not to hang yourself. That rope is is designed to sort of see, uh, you know, how how much can you do that's not going to blow back, you know, on me. Um, and, and I think that to the extent to which you can proactively begin that standard setting process, you start to uh, diminish that that risk profile, and you're not necessarily responding. To something instead you're sort of setting the debate on your terms where a regulator 
can actually look and say, well, what does the market practice look like now? And then, you know, maybe I have to tweak it or something as opposed to coming in, perhaps in some instances, entirely uninformed and saying, I don't see anything that's being done here. So I'm going to go and, you know, go through my rule writing process or something. And then you have obviously the non-participants from that debate, feeling like they've been ignored or whatever, or the regulators don't know what they're doing, whatever. And then you come out with the regulatory regime that in no way uh, speaks either to you know, uh, the aspirations of the regulators, because they may not necessarily understand the technology as well. And it's also not uh, reflecting the reality of, you know, how the technology works, right? And, and I think that, you know, getting that process going, and being very realistic about what those objectives are, and then to kind of create that pathway towards, towards achieving them, you know, is, is really essential. And that's why I always, you know, uh, when I, when I see Kristen, I'm like, <laughs> you know, you, you have, you have, you know, the, you know, she, she, you know, it's, it's, it's a very um, difficult, but important job. Uh, and, 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 and getting those, those actors on the same page, because they, they, you know, uh, there, there will be gravity, the, uh, there's political gravity, there's legal gravity. Um, and, and then there's the gravity of, of trust. And, that, that, and, and, awesome. and, and, and that's a perfect Kristen, so walk us through, if you would, the places that you guys have had real success, right? And it, it really, it's really an education piece because this is probably the biggest hurdle, right? Uh, particularly in DeFi is really sort of projecting this conversation, bringing thought leaders of this caliber sort of together to, 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 to talk to policymakers. When, when, in the places you've been successful, stable coins, um, you know, the, 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 the infrastructure, uh, <laughs> uh, despite, you know, uh, where we ended up, what, what, what was like, what was the secret to those successes and how do you implement, how do you implement them or, or, or for, for DeFi? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not sure we've ever actually had a proactive success. We've had, I think a lot of, uh, defensive, uh, successes as an industry, I think going back to, um, actually when, when Mike was, uh, at FinCEN at the end of the Trump administration, there there was a rulemaking that would have regulated uh, sort of uh, unhosted wallets. And, um, you know, I think we were successful in really stopping that for, for the meantime. With infrastructure, similarly, there was um, a big effort to try to change that um, language, which at the end of the day actually failed, but there was so much political support for it. It sort of felt like, um, like a victory. And then you know, I think if I look to this fall with the Digital Commodity Consumer Protection Act that it kind of lumped CFI and DeFi into the same regulatory regime, um, you know, we were somewhat successful in uh, slowing that down, at least for, for the meantime. So I, I think, you know, the, the industry and the ecosystem, we, we can stop something. And, and the reason for that is because it is a highly communicative industry that can rally when there's a crisis. Um, what we haven't totally figured out how to do yet is to proactively get good policy <laughs> enacted. Um, that takes a lot more work. It takes actually, you know, as uh, Chris was saying, actually having everybody on the same page and coalescing around the same policies. It takes a um, level of education with the policymakers to really understand what's going on. So, you know, I, I think we're pivoting to the point as, a, as an industry and an ecosystem where we will be able to get proactive successes. Um, but um, so far, you know, the, the good news is we can play a heck of a defense and, um, you know, we can always fall back on that. And in some ways, it's almost like a little bit of a threat. Like if somebody messes with us, they're going to have to 
deal with the wrath of crypto Twitter. But, um, you know, I, I think we've got, you know, we've got some work to do. I mean, I think it's great to see all of the, the professionals that are on, on speaking on this event today, because not everybody was, you know, employed and working on this, these issues a couple of years ago. So, you know, it just takes time to get to get the, um, you know, the professionals in place, it takes a time to get the policy solutions in place, um, and to get the education level in place to have success, but it's not impossible. Um, and it's just something that we keep having to move the ball forward a little bit every day. And, and eventually, I think we'll get in a place where we can get some good policy outcomes. I uh, have one more question for Solomon, and then we're going to do a lightning round. Uh, and hang with me for a few more minutes, if you guys can. Um, Solomon, I think what's sort of interesting about this whole conversation is there's the theory or there's, hey, uh, policymaking is going to come or we'll get legal clarity on this down the road. You're having to, uh, you have to exist in an environment today, right? You're operating today. There's practical considerations that, that Uniswap deals with. Can you walk us through? I mean, it, you, it's always been so interesting to me. You're a finance guy, yet you have a real passion and interest in AML, for example. How are, how, how, how does Uniswap think about AML sanctions today as just an example of how you have to operate in a world where there's maybe not the legal clarity that that maybe someday there will be yeah so uh, let, let me just uh, give one clarification uh, before i uh, before i discuss kind of what uniswap labs is doing um yep. in partnership with incidentally with uh, with trm labs um so there's the uniswap protocol which is immutable self-executing smart contract code anybody can access it anybody can build an interface to it um and then there's the Uniswap Labs uh, interface, app.uniswap.org. Um, and that interface is administered by Uniswap Labs. Um, and so in connection with that interface, um, in working in cooperation with TRM Labs, um, we've developed a, a blacklisting approach to wallet addresses that might want to make use of that um, interface to, uh, to swap uh, or, or, or engage with the Uniswap protocol. Um, or other services offered through um, app.uniswap.org. Um, and so that's been, um, you know, uh, that, that covers uh, sanctioned wallet addresses uh, using the dynamic analysis that TRM Labs provides in terms of uh, wallet addresses that are associated with sanctioned activity or other uh, associated with other high-risk um, activities. And so those uh, wallet addresses are blocked from the uh, the application. Uh, but in general, we we try to be proactive in terms of um, providing a, a safe and secure um, environment for users of app.uniswap.org.